Welcome to Stonebridge Online. Just before we start the service, here are some announcements and things to know. During this time of worshiping online, it's important to continue contributing to the ongoing ministry of Stonebridge. Here are the ways in which you can give. You can give online through our website at stonebridgecme.com, click on online giving. You can give through your bank's bill pay option, or you can give by mail. If you'd like business reply offering envelopes sent to you, please contact the church office. The first weekend in October celebrates our unity in Christ with believers around the world and is known as World Communion Sunday. As part of World Communion Sunday, we take the peace and global witness offering as we work to share the peace of Christ beyond our doors, into our community, and around the world. 25% of the offering supports peacemaking within our own community, 25% of this offering will support peacemaking work in our region, and 50% of this offering supports peace and reconciliation work being done by our denomination around the globe. To give to this offering, please make a special note designating global peace on your check, envelope, or when you give online. Stonebridge is partnering with Vitalin, formerly known as United Blood Services, for two blood drives coming in October. There is a real need right now for blood donations, and you can be a part of the solution. To make an appointment, please call the number or visit the website on the screen. There are great things happening in the life of Stonebridge. The Pastor Nominating Committee has been working hard to find our next Senior Pastor Head of Staff, and the committee is excited to announce that John Sauer is our final candidate. Make a special effort to attend online worship next weekend, October 3rd and 4th, where you'll hear Pastor John's candidating sermon. Then on Sunday, October 4th at 11 a.m., there will be a congregational meeting over Zoom to officially extend the call to Pastor John as our next senior pastor head of staff and approve his terms of call. A helpful tool to use during worship is Uversion. To use Uversion, download the Bible app from your app store. Once downloaded, look for events after clicking more and then click on Stonebridge's live event. This will allow you to use your smart devices while watching the service online for message notes, extra study links, connecting, and sending in praises or prayer concerns. And lastly, we would love to know that you're participating in worship. Continue to share your news, prayers, and praises by emailing prayers at stonebridgecme.com. Or if you're following along in version, please take the time to fill out the e-connection card. You are an important part of Stonebridge's community of faith. Once again, welcome to worship. Hello, and welcome to Stonebridge Online Worship. My name is Stephanie Leedy, Director of Children's and Family Ministries. This weekend in worship, Pastor Neil continues his series, All Things New, and we focused on unity among Christians. So I thought it was appropriate that we begin today's message with words from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God activates each gift in each person. Again, welcome to worship. Hello, Stonebridge family. Uh, my name is Andy Thompson, uh, an elder, also the chair of the PNC, um, the Pastor Nominating Committee, and just wanted to kind of walk you through the process and what's going on and introduce you to someone kind of special. 
So as you may or may not know, uh, the PNC has been meeting um, since June of last year. And to give you some background, we spent a great deal of time, uh, mostly this summer, digesting and really looking at what's next. The, that was the thing we did with Pastor Neil leading us at another offsite church. We compiled all of that information and we really kind of looked at what it was that Stonebridge was looking for. And, and similar to what Pastor Neil talked about this last weekend, what this first point from the sermon, and I'm just reading it says, um, important accomplishments require preparation. And it's funny, as I was watching the, the sermon this last week, um, it, it reminded me of the process that we went through and much preparation went into um, digesting the, 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 the what's next process and really understanding what the needs were for Stonebridge. I'm really super excited. The team is excited to announce to you who our recommendation is. Um, so I am now formally introducing you to Pastor or Dr. Reverend uh, Jonathan Sauer. So John, how you doing? Doing well, doing well, and John, John is fine. <laughs> John is perfect. I appreciate it. Well, listen, let's let's introduce you to introduce you to the congregation a little bit. So, um, first off, tell me a little bit about your testimony. Yeah, my life has really been a model of God's faithfulness through the church. Um, I grew up as a Presbyterian um, in the 1984 Directory. I'm a one-year-old in my mother's arms um, for the church that I grew up in. And was in that church for the first 30 years of my life or so. And that congregation really modeled for me God's faithfulness through the people of God. And that congregation was really one of the reasons I wanted to become a pastor was because I wanted to help build communities that reflected God's love in the way that that church did for me. So my life has had a lot of ups and downs. Um, there's been some difficult things that I've had to navigate. Um, there's been some joyous occasions as well. But throughout all of that, the church has really been faithful for me, um, to me. And God has been faithful through the church. I really accepted Jesus. Um, if there was one moment, it was on the mission field in the Dominican Republic. Um, I was uh, 16 years old. I went down there because my mom told me I had to go on church mission trips. Um, I wasn't the most well-behaved high schooler. But down there in the, in the Dominican Republic, working to build a school, the Holy Spirit just worked on me, changed me. And when I came back from that trip, I was just a different person. Um, so since then, I've just been trying to be a follower of Jesus and help other people experience God's love through the church. So we, we sort of teased the church or the congregation a little bit with, with a picture. So um, introduce me to your family. Tell me a little bit uh, about you guys. Yeah. So I'm married to Emily and Emily is a physical therapist. And right now she works in our local school district, um, helping kids with special needs function in the classrooms. Um, so she focuses on that area of physical therapy. She's got her doctorate of physical therapy from uh, Long Beach. Um, we're both Californians. Um, so I know we're in Seattle right now, but we're born and raised Californians. But, but that's Emily's vocation now and how she finds herself serving the world and serving God and serving our community. She is a very good basketball player, um, which is, is fun because we're a big basketball family. Um, Emily, actually, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but it's okay. Um, she was a full ride D1 scholarship player. So she's really good at basketball. 
Um, and I'm a big basketball fan. She's a lot better than I am, but we have a lot of fun with it. And then our son, JD, is actually going to be turning one on October 8th. So right after the congregational meeting, we'll be celebrating his first birthday. So walk me through a little bit about um, some of your ministry experiences that have led you here. Yeah, well, my ministry experiences, um, I actually feel like my call to ministry began working in Trader Joe's. I had a, a beginning of a career before that um, and decided that I felt the call to uh, pastoral ministry. So I quit the job that I was in at the time and then went and worked at Trader Joe's for about nine months where I learned a lot of humility and I learned how to serve people in a very concrete way. Um, and while I was at Trader Joe's, I went to seminary and started studying at Fuller Seminary. I only lasted about nine months at Trader Joe's and then um, the congregation that I had grown up, grown up in that I mentioned earlier in the previous question about my testimony, um, the job for the director of youth ministries opened up there. So in my mid to late 20s, I, I started working there as a director of youth ministries, which it was pretty interesting to work in the congregation that you'd grown up in. I know some people at Stonebridge have done that also. Um, but it was it was a fun experience and it was a good experience and it was a growing experience. I did that for about four and a half to five years or so. Um, and then I got the call up here to John Knox Presbyterian church just outside of Seattle. And I've been the associate pastor really for whatever they needed me to do um, for about five years now, preaching pretty regularly as well, especially during the interim season. But my sense of call is to first and foremost, the, the ministry of preaching. I really, I love preaching. Um, when I did my doctor of ministry, I wanted to focus on biblical preaching. I love searching the scriptures, finding the word of God in the scriptures, and then proclaiming that to a congregation. Um, I take joy in it. And that's really what I love. Um, what I also love in ministry, though, is the organizational aspects of ministry. Helping to organize the people of God for the mission God has given them is, is a joy for me as well. What attracted you to, to Stonebridge? Yeah. So one of the things initially, and, um, and this is just being frank and honest here, I'm not just buttering you up here, but it was, it was a rapport between you and me. Um, you called me actually almost a year ago now, um, after I'd sent my materials in, I think it was almost a year ago. And you and I, I remember that first conversation, we were just able to talk and to go back and forth. And the PNC is representative of the congregation. So I figured if you and I had a good rapport and you were somebody the congregation trusted to represent them, that that would be a really good sign. Um, as our conversations went on and I got to see more and more of the character of the PNC and the way you all were interacting. And when I got to ask you questions, some of the responses that I heard and some of the things that you all were excited about um, in terms of living life together and being connected and, and wanting to spread the gospel, that was all really interesting and attractive to me. I will also say that one thing that stuck out to me was Josh's presence on the PNC. To, to have somebody in their early 20s who is willing to put all the time and effort and work into being on a pastor nominating committee. Um, that spoke to me. And then the congregation felt that that was important. Um, I, I got a sense 
that Stonebridge values intergenerational ministry um, in, in its best sense, not just as a catchword, but that different generations really have a place and that the younger people, they're not just the future of the church, though they are the future of the church. They're the church right now as well. Um, so all of that stood out to me. And then I'll also say one thing that is really, really um, great for Emily and me and JD is that we get to come back home. Um, Southern California is our home. We were hoping, praying, longing for God to call us back to Southern California. But we weren't just going to take any call in Southern California. It, it had to be the right call that we really saw a future for us at and saw a congregation that we could really connect with. And, and I think we found that in Stonebridge. I mean, it feels like the call and the geography are, are lining up here, which is a really rare gift from God. And I'm very grateful for that. Well, uh, John, I appreciate um, you giving us the opportunity to, to get to know you a little bit better and, and understand where you're coming from a little bit. Listen, it's been a long process, and, and I know that the team is very excited. Well, Stonebridge, this has been an introduction and an initial conversation with John Sauer, Stonebridge's PNC nominee for our next pastor or head of staff. I say initial conversation because if you'd like to hear more of my conversation with John Sauer, then you can go to youtube.com slash stonebridgesemi slash videos and view the unedited, complete conversation per our church's constitution based on the PNC's recommendation, the congregation votes to call our next pastor. So make sure to register with the Stonebridge office for the congregational meeting that will be held on October 4th at 11 a.m. by Zoom. Thanks. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow.
Stonebridge. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Olivia, and I'm the new director of Youth and Family Ministry. This week's reading is Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 40. For some context, Jesus was sitting with his followers, sort of checking in with them about a few things. He told them, if you really want to be important in God's kingdom, start serving others. Then Jesus picked up a child and said, if you welcome children, you welcome me. While they were casually talking back and forth, John took the opportunity to ask Jesus a question. This is where we pick up the story in Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 40. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, Stonebridge. We're preparing this service and this sermon for September 26th. For me personally, this is my 39th wedding anniversary with Carolyn, and we're excited to celebrate it together. For Stonebridge, we're being introduced to the candidate to be our new senior pastor. And the skies are clear uh, and healthy enough for us to have our first outdoor service. So that's the good news. For our nation, all of us are in the middle of a global pandemic, economic upheaval and social disruption. Black Americans, Americans of color, and LGBTQ Americans want what white straight Americans have taken for granted all our lives. Justice, the ability to walk safely in their neighborhoods, and confidence in the ability to succeed. Families with parents working from home and children as young as preschoolers. Distance learning, they're on the brink of collapse emotionally and physically and financially. Our nation has lost Chief Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, whose passing has quickly been overshadowed by what some call an existential need and others an inappropriate rush to replace Ginsburg on the Supreme Court. And all of us struggle to live and to love when we haven't hugged a friend or neighbor in months, when some of us seek to social distance and wear masks for safety while others reject being forced by government entities to wear one. Into all of this, we follow Jesus and seek to be followers of Jesus. Followers who are filled with God's Spirit and empowered by God to speak and live out the words and principles of Jesus. So, what, what might be the most important quote from Jesus for our society today, and, and maybe especially for Christians. Think about that for a minute. Jesus' most important quote for our society, society today, especially Christians, would it be, do unto others as you would have them do unto you? Maybe love one another. Or how about, do not let your hearts be troubled. All of those good choices. I have a su suggestion. It, it comes from our text today that we just heard read uh, from Mark chapter 9. I think it may be the most important principle all of us 
can adopt. And because it's so important, uh, before I share it, let's pray and ask for God's direction. Lord, we just ask that you would take the living word of God and pour it into our hearts. Let us hear from you the wisdom and direction you have for our lives, each of us listening uh, today in whatever venue or setting that we're listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I believe that Jesus' statement in our text today may be the most important principle for our time. Whoever is not against us is for us. Whoever is not against us is for us. We almost want to say, did we misquote that verse? Shouldn't it say, whoever is not for us is against us? That's the way the saying goes, isn't it? Um, that whoever is not for us is against us and we're against them? That's what the disciples thought in the passage we just heard read. They said to Jesus, We saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. In that statement by the disciples, we clearly hear the concept of us and them. Us and them is a human survival approach to engaging others. We trust us. Everyone else is them and potentially dangerous. So to be clear, Jesus immediately challenged that way of thinking. He said, do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. This human instinct towards other people may be common and familiar, but it is not the attitude and strategy that we as followers of Jesus are to have. Jesus makes that clear when he says, whoever's not against us is for us. Us and them thinking shrinks our world. Our us gets smaller and them gets bigger. It's not only that we think us and them, but that it pits us against them. Let me give you just a simple ice cream example. First, let's look at it the disciples' way. If you aren't for me, you're against me. When it comes to ice cream flavors, raise your hand when you hear your favorite flavor. And keep your hand up, okay? So raise your hand if you prefer chocolate, strawberry, or vanilla. How about chocolate chip, butter pecan, cookies and cream, or cookie dough? If any of those ice cream flavors are your favorite, uh, if you're for those, just keep your hands up for a minute. Well, you can all take a hike. To heck with you. Because I like pistachio. I'm for pistachio. And if you're not for pistachio, then you're against it and against me. Yikes. You can put your hands down. Talk about there always being more of them than us. Suddenly, us is just me. And all of you are them. Us and them. But when we say whoever is not against us is for us, suddenly almost all of us is us. Okay, so put your hands back up if you like any of those flavors of ice cream except pistachio. Now, do any of you mind that I prefer pistachio? No? Awesome! 
then we're all ice cream people. Now, it's not us and them, it's just us. And for those of you who didn't raise your hands at all, even if you don't like ice cream or you don't eat ice cream, are you against any of us eating it? No? Well, then you're for us as well. If you're not against us, then you're for us. That makes all of us, us. We just went from me versus all of you to all of us together. Do you see what a difference Jesus's principle makes? We read this text and the disciples are talking about one person casting out demons, but can you see how profoundly different the disciples' principle is than Jesus's? Jesus's principle is revolutionary. It transforms our thoughts and expectations and assumptions about others. This one quote, this one idea has massive implications for our day. Here it is phrased just a little differently. If someone isn't hostile, treat them like friends. If a person or group is not hostile, not against us, assume they are for us, positively disposed towards us. In fact, treat them like friends. You know who lives this way? People who play board games. I have been to a couple of board game days at people's homes. These people play all sorts of games, battle games, collaborative games, card games, but none of them say, if you don't like battle games, then get out. They assume you like games. And we're welcome whether we like their kind of game or not. There's no them in the house, only us. You know who doesn't live this way often? Christians. Christians divide into us and them at the drop of a hat. Do you remember the book, The Shack? It was published in 2007. It is an allegory about how much God truly loves us. In fact, it is one of the most consciously and intentionally Christian books in popular literature. The three members of the Christian Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are active primary characters in the book. You'd have thought Christians would have loved the book. Even if its theology was a little different than your own, it was solidly, for, uh, it was solidly Christian. It was for Christian faith, and it certainly wasn't against anything Christian. It was about God's love prevailing in the midst of terrible circumstances. What's not to be for? Oh my gosh, Christians were losing their minds over this book. Podcasts and blogs and sermons and magazine articles attacked the shack for this reason or for that. And they attacked the author because he dared to write it. I read in print and heard in pulpits and across the table from someone at Starbucks. They said, God is not a large black woman. Yeah, we know. God is also not a lion, like in the Chronicles of Narnia. But you aren't complaining about that. But here are Christians saying, don't read the shack. And we won't attend a church where the pastor approves of it. We are against it! Exclamation point. That was us and them mentality at its Christian finest. Or worst. Fast forward to today. And we have far more challenging issues facing the church than an allegorical book promoting the Trinity. But before we get to the present, 
I need to take us back into the past. 15 years before the shack to 1992, when the 1992 Los Angeles riots happened after a trial jury here in Simi Valley acquitted four officers of the Los Angeles Police Department for usage of excessive force in the arrest and beating of Rodney King. In 1992, I had a life-impacting experience. And this distinction between Jesus's perspective and the disciples' reaction was not academic for me. It was not an intellectual, theological concept. It was a deeply moving moment that I haven't forgotten, even after almost 30 years. I was a fundraiser for a college campus ministry. At that time, it was predominantly Caucasian in its makeup. One of the projects I was raising for uh, raising money for was a scholarship uh, fund for students of color, and I had an appointment with an African-American woman named Brenda Salter McNeil. Brenda was a gatekeeper to African-American leaders in Los Angeles. In 1992, she was not particularly happy to work with me. Her supervisor had told her to meet with me, but if she connected me to black leaders, it would be her reputation at stake, not mine. I assured her we were on the same team. In the language of the disciples, I at least convinced her I was not against her. So she invited me to a downtown LA gathering of black leaders. When we arrived, Brenda sat me next to the speaker for the day. Interestingly, uh, the speaker was a white lawyer from a law firm in downtown. That surprised me. She and I were the only two white people in the room. I'd never been in a situation like that before, and I was a little uncomfortable. After lunch, the lawyer got up to give her talk. I wondered what this white woman was going to say to a room full of African-American leaders. She began, Today, I want to speak to you about why passing for white is no longer an option for me. Wow. This downtown attorney was not Caucasian. She was black. And I'm sure the opening minutes of her speech were dynamic, but I didn't hear them. I was too busy realizing that I was not one of the two white people in the room. I was the only white person in the room. And I suddenly realized the magnitude of the risk that Brenda Salter McNeil had taken. I felt I was intruding somewhere where I did not belong. She had brought me in as a guest into her group, knowing that my purpose there was not to help them or to get to know them, but to ask them for money. I wasn't against them, but I wasn't for them. In any year, this might have been fine, but this was Los Angeles, 1992. And here I was, the son of a Los Angeles police officer, attending a meeting of black leaders because one black member had been told by her supervisor to work with me. I wasn't afraid. I was embarrassed, even ashamed to have entered their space so brazenly. So I'll tell you what happened. These African-American leaders who had grown up in LA during the 60s, 70s, and 80s, they, excuse me, they lived out Jesus's principle. If someone isn't hostile, Treat them like a friend. So in 1992, 
they looked at a white fundraiser from Simi Valley who didn't know Florence and Normandy from either Florence or Normandy and said, if he isn't against us, he's for us. Thank you, Jesus, for their Christ-likeness. Which brings me to today. For 30 years, Brenda Salter McNeil has been a black evangelical, often speaking to white evangelicals. And I came across an article in the New Yorker magazine written by Brenda less than a month ago. It was titled, How Black Lives Matter is Changing the Church. I had to read it. I was challenged by it. I've linked to it uh, in new version. 30 years ago, Brenda took a risk by living out Jesus' principle towards me. All of the people we mentioned at the beginning, people of color, people with differing political opinions, religious expressions, and COVID responses, might we reevaluate our reactions and responses towards them? Have we acted as the t- disciples? Uh, asking, well, are they part of us or not? Are they in us or them? Or have we acted like Jesus? Assume they are for us. Treat them like friends. Let me show you a different kind of picture of that same Jesus principle in our world today. This is a photo of the liberal Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the conservative justice, Antonin Scalia. These two justices were famous uh, for disagreeing about almost every case and for being best friends, who knew what many have forgotten. We can battle a belief and befriend the believer. If they aren't against us, they are for us. It may just be the most important statement for our world today. I want to end with a quote from Richard Rohr, a Franciscan priest who is for us. He said this, God cannot abide with us in a place of fear. God cannot abide with us in a place of ill will or hatred. God cannot abide with us inside a nonstop volley of claim and counterclaim. God cannot abide with us in an endless flow of online punditry and analysis. God cannot speak inside of so much angry noise and conscious deceit. God cannot be born except in a womb of love. So offer God that womb. Amen. By now they'd fall But you have never Failed me yet Waiting 
for change to come Knowing the battle's won Oh, you have never failed me yet Thank you for worshiping with us today. 
Go now and live as one body in Christ. Be at peace and care for one another. Suffer with one another and rejoice with one another. Give your attention to the word of God and proclaim the good news of freedom to all.